0: Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Live number 448.
1: This week on the podcast, Texas resident Herschel Walker is the new Dr. Oz of the Georgia Senate race.
0: Plus, turns out all you had to do to be the first state of the 2024 Democratic primary is be the least qualified according to the DNC's own criteria.
1: And President Reagan, uh, excuse us, President Biden is pro-union until he has to pick between the workers and their bosses.
0: Plus, it apparently takes full-throated Hitler support to get onto the wrong side of the House GOP Twitter account, but Kanye finally did get there.
1: And cows can go in different directions based on their mood. Lessons from a Manhattanite in the art of cowherding.
0: We'll have all this and more.
1: This is Brain Trust Live. Hey y'all,
0: I'm Brent. I'm Lila, and you can find us on the web at www.braintrustlive.com. Yeah. Back week after week, <laughs> just hitting those podcasts
1: <laughs>
0: regularly for at least three weeks now. I know. I mean, what a time.
1: Tell your friends, guys.
0: Tell your friends. They could be enjoying a, a, a periodic burst of three podcasts in a row anytime if they were mm-hmm. subscribing to our podcast. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, we have some sort of quick news updates at the top. One being that the House Ways and Means Committee apparently has Trump's tax returns now, but Great. they're not public. Right. The whole fun of getting his tax returns was so that we can make fun of them, you guys. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> what's going to happen? I know. We don't
0: even know if they'll be made public.
1: Is oh, this is like some
0: kind of like state security reason type thing where it's oh, like we'll never uh... find out because of reasons. I
1: don't
0: <laughs> care about <laughs> reasons. I just, here's some things I want to know.
1: That's reasons. I
0: want to know if he's spending a huge amount of money on something embarrassing. He yeah. is. I just want to know what it is. I want to know if he's committed any crimes that are obvious, according to his tax returns, which he has. Which We just he has. don't know what they are yet. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a lot of questions I have that are mostly about what gossipy facts I can be repeating right. I was in, like, 2060 say, about this moment.
1: Right. Because what's going to happen is, like, we're going to have some, like, big bombshell news headline that's going to be, like, Trump committed tax fraud or something like yeah. that. And then everybody's going to spend days talking about, like, how much of a re- revelation that is as if we all didn't right. know as thinking people, like, wandering Earth.
0: The problem want.
1: We want the dirt. We We want want the juice. The juice. Like the time that
0: we found out about Marco Rubio's Museum of Natural History purchases. (laughs) Like there have been times that we have found out things about the expenditures of certain candidates that have been wildly hilarious, but they've been specific. Yeah. What's going to happen is everyone's going to have a vague headline that, as Brent pointed out, we already know is true now, just using our brains. Mm -hmm. And we're going to then have to spend a long time getting to the part at the bottom of the story where they also announced that he was, like, buying moon rocks for, you know, <laughs> astronauts or something. Like, I mean, yeah. there's going to be a part in the story where we find out that he was, like, doing, like, black market trading with astronauts or something like that. Like, <laughs> that, that's going to be in the story. We just don't want to have to read the whole boring story that lays out all the crimes we already know he committed
1: yeah. to get there. yeah
0: So what I would suggest that the House Ways and Means Committee do is leave the big stuff don't worry about it we already know we committed tax fraud i don't need you to report that to me <laughs> I, that doesn't need to be verified no. what i want no. is for slow leaks of only the most hilarious things that we've learned yeah from these tax returns just yeah. over time and that yeah. that's just some advice from us about how yeah. to keep people on the hook uh, leading up to 2024. <laughs> <laughs> we also we have the beginning of the the special master uh for the doj january 6th uh investigation interviewed Stephen miller his first victim this week so that's getting underway so we might potentially learn something new or not new about january 6th from these uh investigations but we'll certainly get to at least keep talking about january 6th in the news which is my priority (laughs) i don't feel like this made big enough news like i want them to be reporting just like ad nauseum about like who's going in and out of his office
1: every day (laughs) Right, right
0: Just to, like, keep everyone alert to the fact that, like, we had an attempted happening. coup.
1: Yeah, you're right. You know?
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> keeping everything on, keeping everything in the, on the front page. Yeah. yeah. Um, but really, we're here to talk about two things. Five things, but two things. <laughs> the most important thing is that the Georgia Senate, uh, Senate special election is on Tuesday. Yeah. This Tuesday. Now, everyone in Georgia is, like, voting up a storm already.
1: Love to vote there. God bless them.
0: (laughs) I mean, when you have been told that your vote matters, it really inspires you to go to the polls. Yeah. And Georgians are showing us that.
1: They are. Numbers are huge for early voting. Like, they're going to get to... They're going to top 1.9 million before Tuesday. Like, once the absentee votes arrive. Uh, Of of just early voting. There's been, like, 1.5 million early votes already. Election day is on Tuesday. Um, They broke, like, two single-day records this week. Uh, It's crazy.
0: Yeah. And, well... It's crazy, but also, I think it points to something that is something we have talked about quite a bit on this podcast, that is about how hard it is to vote and how much of a deterrent that is. Yeah. When you think about going to the polls in California, and before you could do it at home and like research it, yeah. you would have to go to the polls, thinking to your, bringing a cheat sheet for the 18 props you were going to vote on, mm-hmm. and then you would get there and be like, oh, fuck, there's judges on this? I've never even heard <laughs> of any of these right. people. And like, I remember I spoke to a Lyft driver once on the way home from an election night party, and she was like an 18-year-old who was like so excited to have cast her first ballot. And I was like, that's so exciting. And she was like, I left most of it blank. I didn't know who any of those people were. And I was yeah. like, of course you didn't. Why would you think it would be this hard? Yeah. So I feel like maybe we're learning something about how exciting it is to go to the polls and vote on one thing.
1: Turns out I left most of mine blank too. But
0: right. That's, it, it was, different reasons. It was hard for different reasons. Other reasons. <laughs> right. It was hard. <laughs> it was a hard choice. Not yeah. hard because you didn't know it was coming, but hard yeah. nonetheless. But, I mean, I feel like maybe Georgians are excited to vote in this race because it's like, well, there's a right answer. I well, love I voting in a right answer election. I know.
1: Well, the polls have Warnock up by like three or four. There's a CNN poll from this week that has them you up by four. You heard
0: it here first, you guys, because we have been saying for weeks now that this is going to be a lot bigger of a – the Democrats are going to have a bigger margin in this than they had in the general. And yeah, in part because you put yourself in the shoes of someone who is like going to the polls – to cast a ballot for Herschel Walker and that's the only thing they're there to do. Like, you have to, like, put on your shoes and coat and, like, get into your car and buy gas maybe and, like, or have gas and then you have to go drop off your ballot, like, in a location that's not your house potentially. To
1: vote for a man from Texas. To
0: vote for a man from Texas. (laughs) To vote for Texan Herschel Walker. Yeah. A man who is claiming, as we learned this week, a tax rebate that's only for primary residences (laughs) on his Texas mansion. Yep. So... I mean, you have to go through a certain amount of effort to cast a ballot. And if you are excited to vote for someone, that effort feels worth it because yeah. you're like out there, like doing a fun thing. And if, yeah. you're, if you're having to drag your feet to the polls, because you, you have to vote for like, a, like a, a man who has literal brain damage, who yeah. is a resident of the state of Texas, um, yeah. and who has said nothing. I, I mean, I can't, I, there would be no way for me to summarize the number of offensive and or stupid things that he has said in public. Yeah up until this point yeah. right now for you guys, but you've been living in the world, so you know about them. Yeah. I mean, like, the the number of missteps that he has made that, of course, are they going to deter the craziest among us? Of course not. Yeah. Nothing could deter the craziest <laughs> right. among us. That's why they're the craziest among us. Yeah. But I mean, like, you're just a rank-and-file Republican who, like... Right wanted to vote for the, you know, the the anti Trump Republicans that were leading the ticket in your state and like maybe cast a ballot for Herschel Walker while you were there. You're not going to the polls for this man.
1: No, I know. Well and that's the other thing too, like um what is I think to me the most interesting about these numbers, and granted it's like sort of a small amount compared to the amount of people who are going to be voting overall, but like it's a lot of people who are voting in this runoff that did not vote in the general, seventy-six thousand yeah. people as of right now. So there's going to be more than that, obviously. Like, and again, we don't know who those people voted for. But right. again, as like thinking people, you can imagine that there's not one of those seventy-six thousand people has recently been convinced that they need to go vote for Herschel Walker.
0: It would be wild <laughs> if that was the case, and it would maybe point. Listen, I don't know that much about Georgia. Right. <laughs> it would point to the fact that you're listening to a podcast. From two people who aren't from Georgia. <laughs> sure. But I'm pretty confident that most of those people were like, oh, wait, we can't let Herschel Walker can't let her, be that's the exactly, senator.
1: That's 76,000 people who thought to themselves, hang on, guys.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and probably thought to themselves initially. I mean, I think Brent was reading a little bit about this, or one of the reasons that people were giving for not having voted in the, in the, the real election was that they thought that their vote didn't matter. Like, this is, like, a situation in which it's very clear how and why your vote matters. Yeah, right. And that's why I'm saying, like, I think something about the simplicity of, like, the idea that your vote actually counts in this election, that it is a close election where your vote is needed, yeah. and that the choice is simple, is, like, probably inspiring a lot of people to go to the polls who normally are like, I just can't be bothered with all this.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. But it's crazy, like, of the people who have early voted that are under 30 years old, 15 percent of them didn't vote in the general election that's so wild that's crazy
0: and in georgia where like they have already been made aware that they that their vote doesn't matter there i know like not only is that the state of Stacey abrams but it's a state yeah. that basically decided the presidential election yeah and everyone was there for that you know <laughs> right like that was only two years ago yeah so like i think there's maybe something to the idea that uh these have these are people that have been alerted to the importance of their vote in the past. And even under those circumstances, yeah. they're like, oh, I guess let's <laughs> I know. let's get out there. I know. Uh,
1: yeah, also, I was like okay. reading this article and like I said to you before we started this podcast, I was like, might this be a landslide? I mean a landslide in the sense that right, like a close
0: election. Right, I was
1: gonna say a, we're not gonna get like a 60-40, obviously, right? We're talking about Georgia here. But I mean like it would not surprise me if this is sort of like a Fifty four to forty six type of situation. And no. maybe I'm insane, but like, or fifty three to forty seven. But I don't think it's going to be that close. It's not going to be a one-point margin. They're one not going to be. Like not we going to be we're not going to be a week later waiting for the final vote drop to happen to no. decide who won this or not. I, and, I, I, and
0: keep in mind that Warnock was a point ahead in this race. Yeah, he was ahead in already. the initial election. Yeah, and I just can't see a world in which. And there was all like two and a half percentage of Warnock. people who voted for in a Libertarian
1: court. candidate, and I can assure you that they're not voting for. Probably anyone. Right. I, my, my guess is that they would probably stay home, but they certainly didn't take their vote to, um, to Walker. Herschel Walker. That's not They what, did not. That's not yeah. what they did. Also,
0: no. I think, you know, of course, the votes on the day are probably going to be heavily skewed to Walker. Sure. However, I think this maybe also points to another thing that I have thought is so funny about Republican messaging strategy of late, where they've been demonizing early voting because early voting makes it easier for people to yeah. vote, and they hate when people vote <laughs> right. because that makes it harder for them to win. Yeah. But it does kind of screw you over in these situations because there's been like two weeks where like every Democrat on the planet can go convince their friend that this time their vote really does matter. Yeah. And the Republicans are going to have like a 10-hour stretch where they have to do all their voting. (laughs) I know. Like after that, if, if they don't make it on that day, if their car breaks down on that day, they're not voting. Yeah. Whereas the Democrats are going to be able to sort of like pull along people who like initially faced obstacles to voting and get them their, you know, get their vote in before election day. The idea of putting all of your eggs on the day of basket is so insane to me. And I it don't really know is. why, like, I don't know why Republicans have tried to do that. No, like w- if you have any eye to the law game at all, and I get that just anything that makes voting easier, they're against, like, I get that that's their yep. strategy, but this is such a dumb thing for them to have doubled down on so many I times. I know. It's wild. Um, but speaking of Georgia, we have some other news about Georgia. And we have some other news about some other states. This has got me and big... we have some thoughts. This has
1: <laughs> got me big mad. Because we got a primary calendar, finally. It's been approved. And we've been talking about this for years. Yes. Uh, well, since we went to the Iowa caucus. I mean, I was going to
0: say, Brent is from the original first primary state. And so this is something that we have been interested in just the, the primary order since this podcast inception.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I... I'm a person who is not delusional. I, sure. especially having been there and saw, seen <laughs> See? what a giant uh, shit show it was this <laughs> last time around, I'm like, all right, people don't want to have it in Iowa any longer. I get it. It's a bunch of white people. It's a bunch of white Republicans. They're right. not competitive there. The caucus is a mess. They can't count the votes. Uh, like, time to move on, perhaps. Right. I get it, right? And so they, the Rules and Bylaw Committee at the DNC put forth all of this criteria where they made every state repitch if you wanted to go early you had to repitch right so new hampshire had to do it people were making gift bags they were taking them on tours there of was their a states lobbying effort. there was a lobbying effort by all of the every single state and all the senators were going and trying to convince the people at the dnc to it's been a whole charade they had to do powerpoint presentations it was a whole it was a whole thing right yeah. and the only thing that makes me mad <laughs> because <laughs>
0: Well, I have a lot of Well, a lot of it I was (laughs) going to say.
1: But the thing that makes me the most mad is that they just threw all of that out the window. So, like, that's what makes me mad as, like, a person from Iowa. Because I'm like, well, if you're going to set a bunch of criteria and then ignore half of it, then you couldn't. Now now I'm going to fight on behalf of Iowa. Right. Because, like...
0: Yeah, once the first state isn't telling us anything about the viability of a candidate anywhere that matters, who fucking cares if it's Iowa?
1: <laughs> right, exactly.
0: At that point, make it anywhere.
1: Right, because the, um, the criteria is, there were three main criteria, and it was diversity, competitiveness, and feasibility. So diversity, according to the resolution, was, meant racial but and ethnic, but it also meant geographic and economic diversity. And here's another kicker, union representation. Fascinating. Uh, so I would say that at least half of those were ignored in the choice to have South Carolina go first.
0: That's right. Yeah, I, the...
1: So what have we been doing for the last 2 It's a bit just a giant charade at
0: the DNC? Yes. Uh, That's the exact thing that it's been. Because it also doesn't meet any criteria in terms of feasibility. I
1: mean, surprise, the DNC is doing a giant charade. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so here's the new order. South Carolina, yeah. after some heavy late lobbying from Joe Biden himself, yeah. fuck off, uh, is now first. Yeah. Then, following three days later, New Hampshire and Nevada are going to go on the same day with the new caveat that both of these have to be primaries. So Nevada is going to switch from a caucus to a primary. Yeah. Then, uh, fourth on the spot, uh, the the fourth spot goes to Georgia, mm-hmm. which I'm big pro. Yeah. And the fifth sh- spot goes to Michigan. I'm also big pro. Here's yeah. a frustrating thing though about this situation. So these all have to be primaries and. You know, as we say, as we saw, the criteria involved that there had to be some kind of geographic diversity, that there had to be racial and ethnic diversity, all of these things make sense. Yep. The idea of putting a state that has not voted for Democrats since the late 70s, that is before Brent and I were born, as the first state, the state that first determines. Like, which candidates drop out of the choices for every other voter is so banana pants insane and and wild.
1: And that was one of their criteria. that was one of their
0: criteria.
1: Yeah, general election competitiveness.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it makes you want to scream. And also, because they had the perfect choice. If they wanted there to be... I mean, listen, you have to have a state that has black voters in it to be, you know, to, to... in this in this early group, right? Un- understandably, of course, completely. You have to have a state. You have to have some states that are competitive states, so that you can sort of read the pulse of the kinds of voters who are going to be making the distinct, you know, the differences yep. in in a general election, of course. But you also have to have states that are from multiple regions, and we have two states from the South here, and one of those states is the perfect state to meet all of this criteria. Yeah, and that state is fucking Georgia. Yeah, I know. Georgia should have been the first state. Right, and yeah. I and I would I
1: mean I agree with you, and I would contend also it's that South Carolina shouldn't be that, on this list. And also agreed, and I would say that both Nevada and Michigan fit the bill yeah. better, you know, and, and certainly. But although you know, after we tell you the next story that we're going to talk about, you know, maybe. Maybe Joe Biden decided late this week that it wasn't such a great idea that a union state uh, be the first yeah. uh, decision maker in the primary uh, calendar because uh, old union Joe, I think, is maybe on the wrong side of uh, union voters well, in both of those states. Which, which Nevada and Michigan—that's why I say they would fit the bill better just because, like, state. they're big union states. So it's and like, you know- if you're, and they're diverse, and they're both general—they're both close in general elections. Nevada probably yeah. more so than any. Like, we had to wait until the last vote was counted there just to find out who the senator was. So I would contend. I mean, I don't disagree with you about yeah. Georgia, but, like, I would contend any of those Nevada would um, yeah. personally. But.
0: Understandably. And I also... So, there's a few things. One is, as, as Brent pointed out earlier this week, mm-hmm. South Carolina is not just not a union state. It's a right-to-work state. Yeah. So, we're talking about a state that doesn't really share any democratic values. No. So, like, get out of our faces. But yeah. also, I just thought of now. Another thing. I'm <laughs> Another reason I'm mad.
1: Well, you and I have both been doing this, like, all day. It's Just <laughs> being like, and also. Right.
0: <laughs> but if you're going to have... so. Both New Hampshire, Nevada, Georgia, and Michigan are competitive in the general. They are close states. They are states that kind of like where Democrats compete but aren't guaranteed victories. And they're fairly like moderate Democratic presidences. Great. If you're going to have a state like South Carolina in the top five, then you better have a fucking Vermont there too. Oh, yeah. Because sure. the other thing no, that's frustrating about this is this skews heavily conservative yeah, for the Democratic does. Party. It t- totally and does. if you're talking about picking a candidate that has feasibility in the general election, one of the criteria that makes a candidate feasible is their ability to raise money in blue states and their yeah. ability to count on well, grassroots support was gonna from say. people in states who are going to go travel to Nevada, they're going to go travel to Pennsylvania, they're going to go travel to Florida, whatever it is, from other blue states. Yeah. And if you don't have anyone in the, or any state in the top five that can tell you which candidate offers you that, then you are asking to have diminished support from the people that actually drive the grassroots campaign effort that matters. Yeah. So like that's also insane. I,
1: I Everything agree. about
0: this is so insane. Yeah. This is, I think, so Clyburn, Mr. South Carolina himself. Mm-hmm. Well first of mm-hmm. all, Jamie Harrison, the head of the DNC, is from South from Carolina. From South Carolina. So right. like fuck off with that.
1: Right. We and the way that we know that South Carolina is actively not competitive is because we that's sent because of his we loss. spent we sent Jamie Harrison untold Hundreds of millions of our dollars
0: right. to try he and unseat like an actual loon bag.
1: Right to to try and unseat Lindsey Graham, and he got his ass handed to him. And we were all going around thinking that that was going to go a different way. Yeah. So like,
0: we know how uncompetitive. We know how uncompetitive.
1: Un- right. Is. We've got the proof. We ran the tests. Yeah. yeah.
0: But also, Clyburn basically got bought. He he's been asked to leave House leadership. Right. Because all the oldies are being asked to leave House leadership. Yeah. He. Basically had to be bribed out, and this is probably part of the bribe. And then he didn't even fucking do it. Because he's staying in leadership after all. So we're gonna have his annoying fucking, fucking corporatist politics polluting the democratic yeah. agenda yeah. on every level, basically, yeah. for the end of time. This man is in his 80s. Get him. I know. Get him home. Yeah. Retire.
1: Well, and that's the thing, you know, I think so I like I'm I'm still upset about this, but I think that there is Oh, one of Before the, you talk oh, about the good
0: sides, I have one yeah. more annoying... No,
1: please. Oh, yeah. ...that I forgot
0: to mention. Oh, yeah. Yes, I see Which is that nice. this calendar yes. makes it impossible for a woman to win the election. Probably. We're talking about states that, aside from... Like, New Hampshire and Michigan have statewide elections that women have won. But sure. they tried to kidnap the statewide winner <laughs> of an election in sure. Michigan. But we're talking about a calendar that makes it incredibly difficult for female candidates to compete because it's a calendar in incredibly conservative democratic or non-democratic states. Mm-hmm. And that is just inevitably gonna make it hard for women. Yeah, It's a calendar that maybe a man of color could sort of compete in, but it's not a calendar that like any woman could compete in reasonably. And it's not a calendar where you have any opportunity to spend time in a state that like offers you the kind of support that a democratic you know, that that like a robust Democratic state party yeah. can offer.
1: I know. Yeah. And
0: also, but anyway, continue about your good thoughts, because Brent had some ideas about why, well, how we can gonna, defeat this.
1: Well, I was <laughs> so, just going to say, you know, because I agree wholeheartedly with you about like sort of, you know, the the conservativeness of the voters there. But like, I would have probably said that about Iowa too, although I guess the Democrats themselves there had you know, maybe elected some uh, some more progressives over over time. Also, anyway. Iowa has a but history
0: like, of progressive Democrats.
1: But what I was going to say is that I feel like you know nobody nobody knew who Bernie Sanders was until he convinced a bunch of people in Iowa that they should have free health care, and obviously, I. I hope that we have a competitive primary in 2024, regardless of whether Joe Biden runs or not, because somebody should run against him. But obviously, wherever this first state is, people are just going to be camped out there for the next two years. Is this a great opportunity to convince the people of South Carolina that they, like the people of Iowa, might also like free health care? Hopefully. Like, can we just spend the next two years inceptioning the people of South Carolina to, you know, get into some progressive politics?
0: I feel like there is a state though, that is a very close corollary to South Carolina, where those efforts might be better spent and more effective. <laughs> and that state is North Carolina.
1: Oh. Well, yeah, I know. You've been pitching North Carolina. Like, if we're going to have a Carolina. If we have a
0: Carolina, why wouldn't it be North Carolina? Like, everything about this is so maddening, in part because I could see people going into North Carolina and convincing them that, they, that, we, that we need free health care. Yeah. Because that's a state that's on the edge of maybe sometimes yeah. electing a Democrat.
1: It is. Yeah. And
0: that's a state that we could be flipping consistently. Like, that state could flip consistently. Yeah. There are plenty of states that I think would benefit from this uh, sort of messaging support. I think yeah. Arizona is a state that would mes- that would benefit from this messaging support. And I know we already have Nevada on this calendar, but, like, Arizona is a state where probably if we spent a little bit more time messaging to Arizona, we could flip that state easily. That's a state yeah. where there are enough Democrats and there's enough sort of, like, of a democratic uh, sort of history yeah. that we could make a meaningful change to the way that they do politics at the state and federal level there. Yeah. And I think North Carolina is a state like that as well. I think the problem in South Carolina is it's like we could be talking to them all day and night and maybe like a few voters in South Carolina will be like, yeah, we should have free health care. <laughs> but I also don't, I don't feel like the issue in South Carolina is that Democrat voters there don't understand the issues of the stakes. It's that they're heavily organized along like church lines. So the way that South Carolina is organized by Democrats, it's a machine in South Carolina. And sure. everyone goes and votes for the machine candidate there, which is why they like it. Because yeah. Clyburn tells them who to I vote know. for or whatever. And then all the leaders in the communities go and tell yeah. everyone who to vote for. And that's that's why you can have alliances in South Carolina that last generations. It's why the Clintons loved South Carolina. It's why Joe Biden likes South Carolina. Yeah. It's like, if you are sort of like in with the machine in South Carolina, you can generate tons of votes yeah. without much effort.
1: I just feel like, I, I don't disagree with you. I just feel like it seems... It seems like the right project, oh, though, I guess, right? If they're going to go first, then like let's teach. And that's the yeah. other thing, too. I feel like a lot of times in states that are so conservative in terms of just like their statewide politics, like Democrats there could be convinced that like actually what would behoove them is to just really go balls to the wall.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that the best thing that we could do in South Carolina if it's going to get this kind of investment from Democrats is yeah. break the machine. Because well, yeah. I think that the democratic voters in South Carolina are probably very progressive.
1: Well, I think ha- that the democratic voters say. there are And like are... I think you say what is what is the mach- what's the machine doing for you exactly. lately?
0: That's I feel like though the problem is that this is like a machine planned by the machine and so they're planning to use the machine in well, South no, Carolina. Of course they are. But I feel like the best thing and maybe this is something that progressives and challenger candidates can think about while they're camped out in South Carolina. But like how do you break the democratic machine there? Because it doesn't actually serve us. No. Because it doesn't lead to... It doesn't
1: serve them either. It doesn't
0: serve them either. But I mean, it doesn't lead to any kind of victories, certainly no. at the state level. No. It's certainly at the federal level either. Like, so it's not like the machine is like getting a chance to represent anyone and then like there, there's no kickbacks yeah. ava- right. available because yeah. there's no people in government who are yeah. Democrats in South Carolina. Yeah. So the machine's not serving the residents of South Carolina either. But the I feel like if you're a challenger candidate in South Carolina... You really are going to have to go in with the sense that you need to run against the Democrats there,
1: not just the Republicans.
0: And I think that's going to be a challenging position to put challenger candidates in.
1: But the other thing that I think is sort of interesting about this is because I think that a lot of people are out here being like, okay, well, Joe Biden got his wish. South Carolina is going to go first. Uh, But I just don't know that. First off, we don't know what New Hampshire is going to do. They have already said that it's in their state constitution that they are the first primary. They may just hold it anyway. But regardless of whatever they do, let's say they stick to the schedule. The way that it is built right now, I don't think is actually, look, South Carolina was important to Joe Biden because it sort of bailed him out after, you know, like three or four like terrible showings, right? right? And so then it was just sort of like, oh, okay, well, he's competitive. And it was the last one before Super Tuesday, right? So he was able to be like, look, I won South Carolina. So everybody now has to get out just because I won this one state that nobody cares about. That won't be the case any longer. I could see yeah. a world wherein, especially with North, New Hampshire and Nevada coming literally three days after, I think that sort of put South Carolina in a position where it would be very easy for us to not care what South Carolina does.
0: Let's hope that's the position that we end up in.
1: But And, and also, even just in terms for Joe Biden, I could see Joe Biden winning there, and then three days later having his ass handed to him in both of those other places. Because that's what happened in both of those places in 2024. Right. Or in twenty twenty, excuse yeah. me, he got clobbered in both of them. So, and I just don't know that you necessarily like build any momentum by just like only winning the first day. I mean, Pete, Pete, Pete Buttigieg claims to have won Iowa. Now we can right. debate we can whether or not he it. did. But like, what did that? Right. What did that get him? I mean, it got him nothing. Uh,
0: yeah, so, like, it's I easier just to build momentum later you in you know the what I mean. So like, states. I
1: could I could see a world wherein he wins South Carolina and then doesn't win any of the f- rest yeah. of the first five.
0: I also think that I mean, maybe-, maybe
1: Georgia, but I I think that like a good challenger could get out of those first five states and have it be a wash. Yeah. Which is maybe what we good, you know? I mean, like maybe that, and maybe that was their plan. I don't think it was. I think the plan was to just have it in the bag for Biden if he wants to run again. But like, I just don't know that this is like the real win of a calendar for him that maybe he thinks it is. I almost feel like it would be better for him to have South Carolina be fifth before Super Tuesday as a backstop just in the way that it was for 2020. Yeah, he worked
0: perfectly in 2020.
1: If South Carolina was first and he won and then he lost Iowa and Nevada and New Hampshire in fourth and fifth place, then he wouldn't have been able to call Barack Obama and been like, hey, get these other asshats to drop out of this race because Obama would have been like, dude. Who are you? You're getting last place in all of these primaries. Get a life. Yeah. So I feel like he's almost potentially done himself a disservice here.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like the assumption here is just that it's like if there is a challenger, it's going to be someone who isn't establishment enough to compete in these, you know, in these environments. And I think there's like on the one hand, I think that you're right, that like the right challenger could easily turn this into a wash. I think the downside of it is just that the not right, potentially dark horse challenger ends up dropping out before there's an opportunity to even do that. Could be. I think the way to overcome it, which is something we were talking about earlier, is just to have these people skip South Carolina entirely.
1: Uh, You could do it easily. I mean, you could just, you could go to...
0: And it would be easy to argue, like, you know, it would be easy to argue that South Carolina is not relevant and that's why you're skipping it right I was gonna say yeah it would be one thing if South Carolina was the only state with like any black voters in it in the first five well then I would be like don't skip South Carolina because all of the other
1: ones except New Hampshire have uh, have black people in them (laughs) well
0: and also I mean Georgia has a higher proportion a a higher uh proportion of black voters than even South Carolina does mm. so we're talking like if you were to go and focus on Georgia you would still be able to sort of like you know, develop the kind of support among black voters that you need in order to kind of like move on to other states, which is, of course, an important voting block for Democrats. And like, you would be able to like sort of tune your messaging to ensure that, you know, black voters felt like they were being addressed by your campaign. But you would be able to do that in a state that actually fucking matters. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and, and you would be able to do it in a state where you were also going to be laying groundwork for a future campaign. Yeah, right. Because what a waste to invest all this money in South Carolina. What does it buy you? To put the kind of money that people put into Iowa, into South Carolina, a state that under no circumstances will any one of these candidates win in the general, is no. just throwing money down the toilet. I
1: agree. It
0: doesn't buy Democrats anything. No. It's, it's the New York State Democratic Party style plan of the National Party. Like, it's <laughs> it's like they went out of their way to, like, find ways to, like, lose winnable things. Yeah. In any case, this couldn't be dumber, you guys. South- it could not be. Why is South Carolina even on. A list of the top this, I know why. Did they even I, make gift bags? I know, no, they didn't make gift bags. They made power bags, where, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> where they were. They, they made threat bags, probably. I feel like Clyburn probably is up to something.
1: Yeah, he said I'll 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 stick my um my pharma on money down on you. there exactly. I'll yeah. <laughs> we'll send Big Pharma after you. Yeah, if
0: anyone has the money to not need to make gift bags, <laughs> it's James Clyburn. Yeah, exactly. In any case, this is just another example also of Democrats just, like, finding a way to lose an easily winnable situation. Yeah. To, like, waste resources. Yeah. To, like, waste an opportunity also to, like, rebrand as something that is actually responsive to their voters. Yeah. And to waste an opportunity to look like they have any fucking clue what's going on.
1: I know. Well, I know. I I just really hope that somebody decides to run against him or he decides that he's not going to run. I... Per this next story, and I said this to you, and I'm ready to make this declaration on the podcast. Mm. I made it last night at a party, by the way. Oh, we saw Grant last night. Perfect. Yeah. Podcast.
0: podcast, Frequent podcast guest, Grant.
1: I have been very on the fence, as you know, listeners, (laughs) about whether I think Bernie Sanders should be running for president again. Because he's... He's uh, too old. He's a 1,000. Yeah. Uh, But in the absence of, like, anyone that I can name specifically that would be an actual challenger. I think that he absolutely should run. I have long joked that I would vote for the ghost of Bernie Sanders, and I'm ready to put that into practice. Yeah. Because somebody has to. Because now we've got Joe Biden as union buster. Yeah. Right? So like...
0: Yeah, good old Amtrak Joe.
1: Joe and the robber barons. That's right. Are going to be running in 2024? No thank you, ma'am.
0: No thank you. Yeah, and you really... You need someone... I think a lot of the time Democrats think that like anyone challenging their main candidate is somehow doing them a disservice. But I think you actually need someone to run to shore up union support now so that in the general well, union support true. is on board with Democrats. I know. Because I don't think that this version of the Biden campaign. They are him right now. As no, they should be. This so version of the Biden campaign doesn't have, and union support is the like super PAC money of the Democrats. Like, yeah. union support is an incredibly important source of not just grassroots support, because union members make phone calls and knock doors, but union yeah. members also donate a huge amount of money, and unions themselves donate a huge I amount know. of money. A huge amount of outside spending comes from unions. It's an incredibly important part of the Democratic electoral, oh, yeah. no, you know, know, machine.
1: Well, imagine to being one off of... off
0: unions this way, right at the say, heels of the beginning of a president, it's like so insane.
1: It's insane. I mean, imagine being a union voter in Pennsylvania, in Nevada, in Michigan in Wisconsin, in any of those places who, by the way, just worked their fucking tails So the only reason Catherine Cortez Masto yeah. still has a job right now is because, because they're the CWA. calling the, the, the Right, exactly. And I
0: don't even like CWA because they're anti-Medicare for all.
1: I know. But but, Im- but imagine being them right now. Exactly. You think they're going to, next time her race rolls around after she just voted to kill a rail strike, you think they're going to be out in the streets working for her? No. Uh, doubtful, folks. And the same, I mean, they didn't you know, they didn't Nevada didn't like Joe Biden the last time around anyway, so I was like, they're not <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was about to be like, they're not gonna vote for him in 2024, but they won't anyway because yeah. he's awful. But um so basically I just, Yeah, let's oh, backstory time. Let's
0: <laughs> backstory time before before we continue because Brent, I think, had uh made a very important observation earlier this week as he was reading coverage of this story that was about what everyone thinks strikes are and what well, strikes are up to.
1: Right. I know what even the I mean, Biden himself has been saying this this week. Uh, that's the whole reason that we got into this, you know, disaster in the first place. The news media, all of my friends, people that I, you know, know and love have all said some form of an, another to me like, but it would just be so bad if we had a strike. And
0: yeah, my res- strike would be to say, And
1: my response <laughs> to them is congratulations. You have successfully figured out what a strike is.
0: Right. They are supposed to be inconvenient, you guys. That is why unions threaten them. You did it. <laughs>
1: You've gotten to the bottom of the whole issue just in that one statement right there. Yeah. And somebody needs to tell them that, but not enough people are telling them that. So we're here to tell you that. Yeah. Yes, a rail strike would have been absolutely awful for a few days until it, until the you know the owners of the railroads realized how terrible it was and had to give their workers seven days sick leave. Which is what anybody who is saying about this entire story, which we'll dig into a little bit more, but like the right answer here was to just literally do nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: This would have been solved by probably the end of next week. And well, and they would and they would have had sick leave.
0: It the idea so the idea that because the federal government basically intervened in a yeah. labor dispute between the rail workers and a few rail workers unions and railroad companies. And this obviously is a terrible time to have a rail strike. It's right before the holidays and we rely heavily on cargo being distributed across America by train. Yeah. We all know this. Um, But the idea that in order to avert this strike, the federal government intervened to essentially make the strike illegal and negotiate the deal themselves instead of letting the workers do the negotiations by using the mechanism that is available to workers of any stripe, yeah. which is a work stoppage.
1: Yeah, it's like their one power. Pa- it's it's like, their
0: it's one piece of leverage. It's
1: the only power that we have as workers.
0: Well, and it's also the work is coming. The work comes from workers. The value of any operation comes from well, workers. Right. A yeah. work stoppage shows you that because there is no railroad without railroad workers. Yeah. You can have as many train cars as your heart desires, but without railroad workers, they don't go anywhere. Yeah. So they're kind of like the most critical piece <laughs> of the railroad process. Yeah. So the idea of having the federal government be like, it would be so bad if we had a strike. So instead of being like, hmm, maybe, maybe we should lean on the railroad companies and the work and the unions to like figure this shit out, yeah. using the leverage that they both have available to them, they intervened on behalf of the railroads. Yeah. They intervened on behalf of the bosses. I know. That was the choice Joe Biden made. He did not make the choice to come in and be like, you know, I listen, his PR machine is trying to be like, we did this for the best interest of everyone because we don't want anyone to be unemployed. But really what happened here is he took away the only leverage that the unions had to show why they deserved sick leave, why yeah. they deserved raises, why they yeah. deserved the things they were negotiating for. Yeah. And then was like, unilaterally, we'll impose this on high using, and we'll do it by imposing the deal the railroads wanted.
1: Yeah, exactly. Fuck the railroads. I know. The uh, the Onion headline the other day, which was just so perfect, and it's not even, it's barely satire, because this yeah. is just actually what happened, but their headline was, Biden signs legislation to avert crisis of treating rail workers like humans.
0: Yeah. No, because literally, I mean, this agreement had a fairly sizable pay increase, increase. which, which right. w- workers deserved. I mean, this has not been a great time to be working in sure. an essential... Uh, industry like rail. Right. Um, And it's, you know, it's a big biggest increase they've had in decades. But this should, I think, indicate to you sort of like why it's so problematic that we don't have more uh, stricter federal uh, legislation or stricter federal regulations around workplace safety and worker safety issues because if it was actually more expensive for railroad companies to allow people 7 days of sick leave than it was to give them a 24% raise they oh, were willing I to know. give them a 24% raise but they were like we draw the line at letting them take time off for being sick i know that should that should show you that the healthcare piece of this conversation mm. is a very is, is an incredibly expensive and onerous burden for both the companies and the workers to be yeah placed under. Yeah. So like we're talking like the reason they don't want to give them sick leave is because they don't want to have to hire enough staff. Yeah, exactly. And if the, if the way that we keep our economy functioning is at the expense of the health and safety of the people that keep it functioning, yeah. then... That's that's the role for the government to come in and regulate. Yeah. The role is not for them to break the strike. The role is that for them to say, OK, how do we mandate that companies make sure that they that their employees are given adequate sick leave?
1: Yeah, Like and the that, idea that
0: he came in and instead supported the idea that they could have a contract without sick leave in it, I know. instead of supporting the idea that we need legislation to protect everyone's right to sick I leave, know. just really hurts your head a little.
1: Bit. I know. I feel like you were also really getting into the crux there of why capitalism is also garbage
0: yes as always (laughs) yeah but i mean i think that a lot of the time people hear about labor disputes and because so many people are not in unions and so many people are not even in an industry that has unions they kind of feel frustrated because unions are often asking for things that those of us in the gig economy don't get or that those of us in the crappy just sort of general purpose capitalist economy don't get I mean, this is something that, I, you know, my mom has always said that, like, a lot of her friends will be really resentful when she is, like, complaining about, like, pension and healthcare-related situations that are happening with New York City teachers. And she's always like, the the problem is that you don't have these things. It's not that I have these things. We should all have these things. Yeah. Like, the, the problem is that you don't have them. You shouldn't be mad at me. <laughs> right. But, I mean, I think a lot of the time people have a difficult time sort of like putting on their thinking cap when it comes to like what the, what the value of these kinds of labor disputes are and whose side they belong on. Because of course people want their mail and they want their produce and they want their whatever. They want yeah. the rails to be functioning. We all want the rails to be functioning. It's inconvenient when people go on strike. We know that. Sure. But the only group of people that really have the leverage to raise these issues to a level where government has to address the larger implications Our unions. I know. So the fact that the government chose to take the absolute wrong message from this when what this rail strike is telling us is that we need sick leave regulations to protect workers in every industry. But Joe
1: Biden strongly supports paid sick leave, Lila.
0: He just in can't the, pass it.
1: In the same way that he strongly supports a $15 minimum wage.
0: Right. In the same way that he strongly supported student loan cancellation. Right. In the same way he strongly supported a lot of things that aren't going right. to actually happen.
1: And, right. I know. And a, and a public option. Of course.
0: Who, doesn't, who deeply, doesn't support these deeply things deeply? Care,
1: deeply cares about all of these things.
0: <laughs> right. It's like, well, okay, good. You have a crisis to avert. Your choice is to either come in on the side of big business and basically squeeze workers further. Or your choice is to be like, we're the government. We have the power right. to make these people right. do the right thing. Right. And instead, Insta- you decide you, not to. Right.
1: You, you chose the choice that allowed you to be outflanked by Marco Rubio with workers.
0: What an embarrassing day for Which, America.
1: look, a lot of people, I think rightly, are being like, well, Marco Rubio knew that that vote was not actually going to yeah. actually have to mean anything. And so it was a symbolic vote. But I'm like, you know... I'm giving props to Rashida Tlaib for a symbolic vote on the no vote on the rail strike. So I'm like, I'm going to give Marco Rubio credit for, like, at least pretending to be on the side of workers. Make a symbolic vote. Make a, yeah, exactly. And, you know, he tweeted about it. Like, look, I'm not ever going to be voting for Marco Rubio for anything. But, like, you know, I just think that, like, the idea that, like, you've allowed Republicans, again, and the people like Josh Hawley, who are sort of, like, have been long attempted to, like, build this reputation of, you know, he also supported a lot of the COVID provisions and, like, yeah. sending people direct payments and things like this. You, you know, you have a lot of right-wing sort of, like, faux populists, but, like, who every once in a while, you know, in the way that a, you know, stopped clock is... right Right, twice a day like you allow these people you know we're seeing reports all over the place of unions being really mad after the bill signing he went and like gave a speech in Massachusetts and there were like hundreds of protesters there like union protesters um, you know, I, I've got a whole quote, list of quotes from union people that we don't necessarily have to read. But like, you know, you've I, I just think that like and we we already know about the people who were sort of like Obama, Obama, Trump voters. Right. right. You know, I mean, a lot of these people like in Ohio and places, you know, in the states that we a already mentioned a people. lot of a union state people. And we you know, there was a tweet making around this week about like some, you know, union guy. It was just one person, you know, but it was just sort of like, I'm not I can't I can't vote for him again, you know? And I think that was anecdotal, certainly, but there are more of those people out there. And, like, I just don't understand, like, besides the fact that, like, it's just deeply disturbing from, like, a human level and, like, I think says a lot about, like, our government and our system of government, but also just sort of, like, what a political mess. Yeah. Like, why? What is that actual plan? Like, this is the beginning of a plan to lose an election is what it is.
0: Well, and so what they did is... The there was the deadline to figure out the deal between the rail unions and the rail companies was right. December 9th. so they needed to do something before December 9th. and so that was Biden told the House and Senate to or, like, they they, or they didn't the or right. they didn't the other option they didn't need to do that. anything, <laughs> right. but Biden told the Senate and the House to like figure some shit out. Yeah. So what they did was they voted well, on
1: what he uh, sorry not to interrupt ahead. you, but what he said specifically was that they should adopt the plan that he had brokered, which was the raises with the one day in there. He said no changes because he didn't want to hold it up. That's right. So he, Joe Biden himself, wrote the plan, wrote the plan and said specifically. And the other thing that I want to amend really quick, because you'll see in a lot of statements from either in, in front of cameras or like released statements or in tweets from Pete Buttigieg or whatever, they're playing a game with you about they're lying is essentially yeah. what they're doing because they are saying that they are just all they were doing was asking for congress to pass the vote that the workers had that the rail workers had already approved right. that that joe biden uh had already brokered and that everybody was good with and that is not true because he's yes. getting around that by like the union leaders agreed to it but, but it then, hadn't
0: been put to a fucking vote but it
1: hadn't been put to a vote and the reason that this came up at all was because it didn't pass the vote. The right. unions voted, the actual workers voted this down. So if you see anything from the Biden administration saying that, like, this deal had already been agreed to, they are lying to you. Yeah.
0: But so what they did is they have this one bill that's the Biden bill. But there are people, obviously, in Congress who are like, wait a minute, we don't think this is a good right, idea. Right, if we're going to
1: vote on if a bill. we vote on
0: a bill, they should have sick leave in the bill. I'm not, any- Bernie Sanders is not sitting here trying to give workers one day of sick leave. <laughs> right. So... As a sort of concession to the left to get them on board enough to get this passed, they let them do the second bill, which basically amends it to have seven days of annual paid sick leave, which is not the Biden deal. And they have to do it as a separate bill because Biden has ordered them to pass his bill, no changes. Right. And so they do this second vote that obviously allows a bunch of shenanigans to go on because the second vote, of course, is just a symbolic vote. Right. It's not going to pass the Senate. It's not going to pass the Senate. And everybody knows that. And that's, you know, and... We can be, I certainly, I'm. I'm glad Marco Rubio voted for it, but I'm also like, that vote was always known to be dead in the water. Yeah. So that everyone can go home and feel good about how they also really wanted seven days, but they had to vote for one. Yeah. But that's all just to sort of like meet the criteria that Joe Biden laid out that was that it had to be his exact bill. Now, in a real world where Congress is like, we should do something better... <laughs> They put those in the same fucking bill.
1: They should have put them in the same bill.
0: But that's not what they did. No. Because they didn't want to pass seven days. Because they don't fucking care about and rail they were workers. And they were afraid
1: that that wouldn't pass the Senate. By the right. way, Joe Manchin voted against the seven days. Of course he did. Like, you've got Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz out here voting for it. And Joe Manchin's voting against outrageous.
0: it. Oh, Also, yeah. Joe Manchin, from a strong union state. Yeah. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what anyone's thinking. But, you know, especially. Know. Well, you never know what he's thinking.
1: I'll tell you who I really don't know what they're thinking is all of the squad except Rashida Tlaib. And I say this in all seriousness and with little respect for any of them. Fuck them all. Yeah. uh, Because you cannot, you can't vote to shut down a strike as a member of the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America. And they should all be expelled. Yeah. They debated expelling Jamal Bowman because he voted for Iron Dome funding. Which, look, don't vote for Iron Dome funding. Of course not.
0: But But he's a New York congressman and that's a...
1: But, but the Iron Dome funding, while certainly, yes, important to right. DSA for obvious reasons, is not so much at the crux of right. like what DSA is. Right? I mean like DSA, right, exactly. You're you're socialist, right? Yeah. You can't be <laughs> You're a socialist. You can't be shutting you can't down be strikes.
0: Breaking down strikes. By breaking law, strikes, yeah.
1: Right? So like I don't know what any of them were thinking. They have all given very convoluted reasons as to like, oh, they were working with their local unions who told them that they should vote yes on the dual path. What I, I don't give a shit what anybody told you. No, we elected don't you. Don't be
0: breaking a strike. If I you're mean, the DSA. I, you
1: can't. You actually can't. You you can't you can't be in it anymore. Right. I mean, honestly, like I just yeah. like and look. I guess it doesn't matter. Like these people are being elected probably at this point, like with or without DSA. Right. But I mean, like they're members. They're yeah. active members. Like uh, and people have sort of like often suggested that there needed to be some sort of like you know repercussions for like an actual structure to sort of yeah. like if if these people are being supported by DSA like as a party. Let like, me tell
0: you what leftists are not. Capable they're not going to do, do <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> would take, it would take too long to figure it. out. Right. I've
1: seen the video of their uh, you know of their um, uh, conventions. Yeah. As <laughs> uh, they're not going to be doing that.
0: No. <laughs> but
1: they but they should.
0: They should. Yeah. An organized group of people, which is not describing DSA, but does describe groups of people in world
1: times, um, would do that. Yeah. And the other thing that I want to, I just told you that the administration was lying to you if they were telling, like, I want, there's one other thing that you should be on the lookout for. Because there's a lot of things going on right now where people are being like, oh, the Republicans voted against the sick leave. And sure, they did. But yeah. the only reason that they fucking had to is because the Democratic president shut down a strike. That's right. So, like, if you are out there being like, oh, these Republicans just don't want anybody to have sick leave. No. Right. <laughs> no, that's not all, what happened. First
0: that's of all, <laughs> of course they fucking don't. The, you right. can act as the Democratic president with the knowledge that Republicans don't want sick leave. Right. Your Your context includes that as a pre-existing fact. It's yeah. not something that you're threatening to have them, chal- you know, challenging them on. They're open about it. You already know that that's the case. So to pretend like somehow they did something that a, that forced your hand, when you're like a person who has pre-existing knowledge of how they will act in any <laughs> right. given situation is disingenuous anyway.
1: Yeah. I just don't let Democrats blame Republicans for yeah. this. Because they didn't do anything.
0: <laughs> right. They just did what they, they did. do. They just did they, what they do. They, right, exactly. They were true to themselves. They were true They followed themselves. their hearts. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> they their do. hearts are... The hearts that you Ugh. would have if you were a Republican. Yeah, it anyway, was an exciting week that anyway because story had me. There was mad. union breaking. On. Anyway, sorry. There was anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Kanye just went full "I love oh Hitler" God. to the extent that Alex Jones had to walk it back. I Alex mean, when-
1: Jones tri- like led him down the path of not praising. Adolf Hitler, and, and he and just couldn't couldn't, couldn't see that that's yeah. what was happening. Or he literally said, "You're not it. a
0: Nazi. You don't deserve to be called that and demonized." And Kanye replied, "Well, I see good things about Hitler. <laughs> that's the kind of shenanigans that were going on." It's not on. funny.
1: I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's uh,
0: outrageous. It's out, but yeah. I mean, it's. It's
1: I think he was talking to a bottle of Yoohoo at the time, also, wasn't yeah. he? <laughs>
0: yeah, and he was no. wearing like a ball of cloth or whatever. Uh, so yeah, every yeah. one of those ridiculous masks. I mean, everything about that interview was crazy. And don't watch it, by the way. Oh, don't no. give them another view. They've had like three point five no. million views on that video. I know. Get it off the internet. I know. But also, somebody stop. Didn't he
1: file for bankruptcy this week? I
0: think so. Yeah, he did. Stop handing Kanye a microphone. And frankly, like I don't care what Kanye is up to, as long as he's not doing it in my view. And the problem with all of this has been him doing it in view. But the view is not the view. He's not providing the view. Other people are providing the view. Yeah. It's much like how the House GOP finally had to take down their Kanye, Elon, Trump tweet. This was just apparently not, their but, line. Just
1: now, it was fine after he went to, um,
0: uh, yeah,
1: you know, went to dinner with Trump, right? And Nick like went and Nick, Fuentes. Things, and Nick, and Nick Fuentes, But Yeah, but no.
0: But where he, where they really drew the line was when he had to when he expressly <laughs> described his admiration for Hitler, though he was asked not to, essentially.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> oh my God. But also,
0: I want to revisit briefly something about that Trump meeting because someone else described it to me in a way that really boiled down what was so funny about that meeting in a way that I had not thought of. And though we did describe that meeting to you on the last podcast, I think this like summarized version of it is like really what you need to take away from it. The reason it was so funny is because both Kanye and Trump went to that meeting to ask the other to be their vice president. <laughs> and Kanye got to it first. <laughs> That's the crux of what broke down there. Yeah. Because I had been really struggling just sort of like with how that broke down so quickly. Like, I know two egos in a room plus Nick Fuentes, that can't be a good, you know, no. good situation. But like, it seemed to break down in like a really bizarre way. Yeah. And I had forgotten about the fact. That both of them went there for the same purpose and only one of them fulfilled the purpose yep. and it was the wrong one. It was, it was to ask the ex-president to be your vice president when he came to, like, what a funny thing to have happen. Yeah. Hilarity. It's comedy, guys. It's comedy, guys. And most importantly, <laughs> the funniest thing that's ever happened in history also happened last week. And now commences the portion of the podcast where I, a Manhattanite, tell you about cows. <laughs> well, you have
1: cows, cow blood in your family. <laughs> cow
0: blood. <laughs> That's true. My grandparents owned a dairy farm. And I also briefly went to a school that would take us up to a farm and teach us to milk cows when I was in elementary school. Sure. And I was somebody who already knew how to milk a cow at that time, which is a really surprising turn of events <laughs> uh, for somebody who grew up in Chelsea. You're
1: a cow expert. I'm a
0: cow expert. And one of the reasons I'm a cow expert is because in the town that my grandparents and now parents live in, lived Mm in, well, they, my parents are there. My grandparents no longer. Um, There are a lot of cow breaks that occur. It's a dairy community. So a lot of cows roaming around and every once in a while, cows do a fun thing where Mm -hmm. one cow discovers a hole in the fence and cows will just casually follow any cow that's doing anything. So like if one cow leaves the pasture, they'll all just follow that cow. They don't ask questions. They're just like, <laughs> oh, we're going, I guess. <laughs> so we'll go. So the so what it takes, all it takes is one mischievous cow to cause mayhem in an entire community. Sure. Right. And if you get back to the right cow, you can turn everyone around by just being like, oh no, we're going this way now. Mm-hmm. And then the cows will all just be like, oh, cool, we're going this way. But if you don't get to those cows in time, what you have is a whole community of mischievous cows on your hands. Yeah. And Quebec, a rural community in Quebec, has uh learned the hard way that there is a, that you can lose control of the cows entirely eventually. And then you just have roaming cows just like blocking roads and like eating your garden. Yeah. Because, so there's like this small town in Quebec. That's like a very small
1: town. Oh, like 300, like a 300 300 person
0: town where the like town administrator was called because there was a cow break Mm -hmm. and some cows whose owner really weren't, wasn't in a situation where they could like go and round up the cows again. So the cows kind of got out for too long and then they were just sort of like hanging out. Mm -hmm. Um, got a call from, you know, worried people who were, like, getting into car accidents with cows or whatever and was like, we got to round up these cows. So she called, like, every animal control agency in Canada who all referred her to other animal control agencies in Canada. And then the final one was like, well, you can just go round them up. You're the town administrator. And she was like, I'm just, like, a random woman. I'm not going to be able to round up these cows. Yeah. So, because these cows were, like... They were they were taking the city by night, basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> they were, like ro- they were sleeping in cornfields during the day and like taking the town oh, yeah. by night. Well, no,
1: they escaped into the cornfields when they were when, being by the na- when they were yeah. being chased by the neighboring city's cowboys, cowboys right. from the cowboy festival.
0: Because she noticed, she realized there was a cowboy festival going on in the town next door, so she called them to see if they could round up the cows, and they got outsmarted by the cows. They got
1: out, right, yeah. A whole... The cows are
0: still loose, as far as I know. Just sure. roam in town.
1: I'd like to think that there go- will they're be free. forever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is winter is coming and it's Canada. Oh, yeah. And so people are worried the cows will starve. Yeah, And so they're trying to figure out how to round up the cows in time to get them into yeah. a winter proof yeah. situation. But the cows don't seem interested in, in those interventions. No, And she's also getting a lot of hilarious pieces of advice from people. Like, people apparently keep telling her to lure them by playing the recorder.
1: What? That was the most common piece of advice that she got.
0: <laughs> is that Which work? she
1: tried. Didn't Wait, work.
0: Didn't work. Is that a thing that works with cows? no. I mean, I feel like in general the times that I've seen cow breaks turned around, it was just someone saying, "Hey, this way." and then pointing, and then cows will just usually just be like, "Oh, okay, we're going <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're going over here. Now. We're going over here." I I kind of like lo- I love cows for a few reasons. One being, I love an animal that's that big that has, like, no athletic ability. (laughs) Like, I feel like cows are, like, pretty calming because though they could crush you if you get under them, they just kind of meander around. Yeah. They're not, like, they're not doing anything. No. I love them because they have best friends. So Mm -hmm. I feel like cow communities are actually fairly tight-knit because they, like, know who their friends are. And that's why they'll go follow random cows who are just breaking out because they're, like, oh, my friend's going. I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) go. I should go, too. Yeah, I mean, I just think there's something so nice about a giant you know yeah it's sweet sweet but also like disorganized well they're
1: very sweet too they're very sweet except the ones who are running people off the beach in Ibiza, right yeah no there's some
0: aggressive cows in Ibiza that apparently are have taken a beach and decided to hold it (laughs) so i had no idea that cows could be this aggressive but i am kind of excited that cows are exploring the limits of their captivity in this way yeah same i mean wild cows they have them in places right usually people are feeding them though they're not you know but people kind of take care of the cows in places but I I love the idea that there's just like a bunch of Quebecois cows who just decided that enough was enough. No, that's it. And they got the out of their pasture as cows do and then just were like we're not going back. We uh-huh. will not go back. Uh-huh. And this story has now made like international press. I got the story from Al Jazeera. <laughs> I first heard about it on TikTok because most of the reporting was in French. And so someone was like, I just need to let you guys know about what's going on with these cows in Quebec. And then by the next day, it was in every major (laughs) international paper. In any case, if you come across a cow just in the wild, first of all, if you're in Quebec, be careful on the roads because it sounds like cows getting out or becoming a liability if you're in the region where this cow break occurred. Um, But second of all, uh, if you see a bunch of cows roaming around town, I feel like look for the lead cow and then just turn them around and see if they'll go back to where they came from.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That's my cow advice as a professional cow wrangler from way back. appreciate it. In any case, that's the news this week. There it is. Um, You know, how exciting to have... We, we'll be back next week. I mean... We will. There's nothing stopping us now.
1: It gets dicey after that. <laughs>
0: well, it's the holidays. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah. like, don't be listening to podcasts over the holidays. Like, go... You know hang out with your people or whatever yeah it's got take time off is what i'm saying um yeah but we'll talk to you next week and yep. by next week maybe we'll understand the fallout from this rail strike breaking uh a little better and Let's also see. we'll know who the senator from georgia is gonna i be. feel like
1: we're gonna know what the fallout is when we wake up and um ron desantis is the president that's when we'll know
0: yeah we will find out about <laughs> it then that will certainly hopefully we get some early clues though. I was correct <laughs> Of course. But we'll see. Oh, boy. It's working. In any case, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.